us a little bit about yourself, your name, your and family. My name, My is, name is Lynette, Lynette. and I'm married to Tony, and I have two children, JP, as he is known here, and Lynn, who's employed here. That's right. Now, where are you from, and how long have you been at Sea Road? I'm originally from north of Kingston, and um, we began attending 1999 when we moved. Wonderful. Here. Well, February is known as the month of love, so I want to ask you this. Um, in your opinion, what is your favorite thing about love, or, or what's the most important thing about love? Love is something that you can depend on, something that is warm feeling, something that is homey. Love forgives, love holds you, love is wholesome. Wonderful. Thanks, Linda. Hey, is there anyone that you want to say hi to? Oh, I definitely want to say hi to my beautiful granddaughters, Lily and Kaylin. Oh, wonderful. Thanks so much, Linda. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Linda, for sharing with us. Hey, kids, age three to grade three, can I hear you? Can you give me a woohoo? Okay, I heard that more from moms and dads, but that's because they're so excited that they get to have their kids participate. If you're here in person in a wonderful kids ministry program out in the boulevard, this is the time that you can move and have all that fun. And if you're at home and watching kids, if you go right now to the website centennialroad.com, there's kids ministry content right on there. It's just for you and it's going to be awesome. So hopefully you can participate with us in that fashion as well. I used to believe a lie about God. I used to believe if I didn't want to do something bad enough, that's exactly what God was going to make me do. Like marry the girl next door, move across the country to a place I didn't want to live in. I want to live in Brockville, don't get worried. Move around the world. And, and I began to embrace a little bit of reluctance and hesitancy in my relationship with Jesus. I remember it started to define me a little bit, my untrust, my disdain, my doubt in some cases. Now, reluctance and hesitancy doesn't have to do that. They can actually be great things that you and I can use in a relationship with God or a relationship with other people in positive ways. Like if you are walking down the street and you want to cross Laurier Boulevard, Laurier Boulevard here in Brockville, you should hesitantly do so. Because cars don't stop for pedestrians. They will zip by you. And then you're like, come on. <laughs> Hesitancy and reluctance. They're a part of our, our world. They're a part of our community. They're a part of our lives, whether we like it or not. So what happens when we find ourselves in a place where we're a little bit hesitant or a little bit reluctant? What do we do then? We're going to look at two stories that Jesus told to a group of religious people specifically about these ideas. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 21 is we're going to be looking at it right there. Uh, starting in verse 28 all the way through to verse 46. We're going to read one story first, then unpack it a little bit, and then focus in on a second story. Matthew 21, starting in verse 28. It's called the parable of the two sons. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But he later changed his mind and went anyway. 
Then the father said to the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which one of, these, which one of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. Story number one, a little bit potent, speaking to this religious group of people, and Jesus lets them have it, both barrels. Boom. Right there. Let's start with this. Who is John the Baptist? John the Baptist just so happened to be a family member of Jesus, Jesus' older cousin. And John's life was meant to be lived in a preparing kind of way. He was supposed to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. He was supposed to be a beacon of light and hope and a voice for, for out of the wilderness for this coming fulfillment of everything that God talked about when it came to Jesus. See, way before Jesus existed on the planet, he was spoken about beforehand. He was prophesied about beforehand that this king, whose kingdom would never cease, would one day rule the world in which we live. This was in reference to Jesus. Now, it's a kingdom that's very different than any other kingdom that's ever existed or ever will be in existence in our world. It's a kingdom that is in the spiritual realm. It's not in an earthly fashion where there's king and queen and prince and princess and all that stuff that you can point to. And so John the Baptist was made... His life was a gift given to prepare the way for Jesus' coming, but John was often misunderstood. A ruly sort of gentleman, lived in the wilderness, ate locusts and honey, spoke about things. He baptized people. People were confused because John was seemingly railing against the system that was in place. All the things that they held dear, their cultural norms and nuances, but what John was trying to do was, was tell them that everything that we've been waiting for is coming to fruition right now. Everything we've been waiting for is happening right now. If you would just open up your eyes and see it. Unfortunately, over time, the disdain for John and his message grew to the point where a group of people had him imprisoned and then he was later killed. He lost his life for his mission. He lost his life for his message. That's John the Baptist. So Jesus tells this story about a father and two sons. And I can identify with this story in so many ways as a parent because this son, this father tells one son, hey, go do something. And that son says, ain't going to happen. I'm not going to do that. Has that ever happened to you as a parent? Then he talks to his other son and he says, hey, go do this. He's like, sure, I'll get it done. And then that son doesn't get it done. Has that ever happened? Have you ever done one of those? Not wanted to do something, but then you ended up doing it? Or saying that you were willing to do something, but then you didn't follow through on your willingness to actually get something done? I have. I've never had the opportunity to visit the United Kingdom 
England in particular. It's on the bucket list of trips post-COVID, post-pandemic, post this whole season of life. Bonnie and I can go for a week, two weeks, three days, three months, however long it's going to be. We're going to explore this place. It's going to be wonderful because there's castles and there's water and there's people with weird accents. It's going to be amazing. We look forward to it. But in the UK, they have a transit system, a train system. They call it affectionately the tube. Now, if you go to the tube, what's really interesting is they've got signs and this mantra posted and painted everywhere. It's called Mind the Gap. It's everywhere. Mind the Gap. What does that mean? Did you know between the platform of which the passengers that are hoping to get on the train are standing and the train itself, there's a literal gap. There's a gap that you have to step over to get onto the train. If you don't mind the gap, you could find yourself stuck in the gap. In fact, if you go on YouTube later today, you can find funny videos of people who get stuck in the gap because they weren't paying attention. And so these posters and all this stuff is everywhere. It's littered so that people are cognizant and aware of the gap that's right before them. So they can be aware of it. They can mind it. They can make sure they don't fall into it. We looked at this story of the two sons, and both of these sons have gaps. There's a gap in the first son between his hesitancy and his reluctance. His hesitancy, his father asked him to do something. He's like, I'm not going to go do that. But then he changes his mind and reluctantly goes and gets it done. He goes and works in the vineyard. And there's a gap. There's a gap in his, between his hesitancy and his reluctance. There's a gap in the second son. There's a gap between his willingness, yeah, I'll go do that, and his follow-through. He's willing, but he does not follow through. The religious leaders are asked which son is actually obedient, and they reply, well, the first one, because he actually got it done. That son minded his gap. See, the truth is in life that you and I, we've got gaps all over the place. We've got gaps between our hesitancy, our reluctance, our willingness, and our follow-through. I've got a gap in my front teeth. I've got a gap in my wallet. Thankful for that. There's gaps all over the place in our relationship with Jesus. We need to be aware of them because you and I cannot close that gap on our own. I mentioned I used to believe a lie about God. I used to believe that whatever I didn't want to do, that's what he was going to make me do. That's called a gap. Some of us have gaps. We're like, I don't even know if I can believe that Jesus is who he says he is because he's not showing up for me right now. That's called a gap. And in those gaps, what we need to be aware of is that they exist. And that we need the help of God's presence, the Holy Spirit, to mind that gap, to close that gap, so we don't get stuck. Because when we get stuck, it becomes increasingly difficult for us to start moving again. There's a second story in the same conversation that Jesus talks to these same religious people about. We'll pick it up, I believe it's in verse 33, chapter 21 of the book of Matthew. Now listen to another story. 
A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned the other. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him. But the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, Surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, Here comes the heir to this estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, What do you think he will do to those farmers? The religious leaders replied, He will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Then Jesus asked them, Didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone it falls on. When the leading priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. See, here's what happens when you and I have gaps and we don't, we're not aware of our gaps. We're not willing to allow Jesus to work on our gaps, to help us overcome or close our gaps. We become unwilling. And when we're unwilling, what happens to our hearts is they become, as the Bible says, hardened. Hardened. If you've ever tried to work with an object that is super hard, super dense, it is difficult to break it. It's difficult to reshape it. The same thing applies to your and my heart. When we're, when we're unaware of our gaps, when we let our hesitancy and our reluctance get us stuck into unwillingness, that's when we're in trouble. That's when it becomes increasingly difficult for God to move in us, through us, and around us. That becomes increasingly difficult for us to even recognize Jesus. See, what was really interesting is, as Jesus was telling this story to these religious leaders, they knew all the prophecies, all of the things said before about Jesus, before they had this conversation. They knew all of them. They studied them for years and years and years and years, and they didn't recognize in that moment was an opportunity for them to repent, which means to change the way they think. To change the way they think about their situation, their circumstances, their environment right in that moment, that was their opportunity, and they missed it because they were stuck. Stuck. Right in a gap. They were stuck right there. So many times in our lives, you and I will have the opportunities to not only be aware of our gaps, but to choose to either become stuck in that gap 
or to have Jesus help us close that gap. Sometimes that comes in a form of a, a loving and encouraging word that comes from our relational community around us. One of the many joys of having a large family is that I have so many people telling me so many different things, trying to tell me and influence me and give me opinions, and those are wonderful. But unless they're God-initiated and God-oriented, they're not as helpful as they could be. See, in our world today, we're really quick to share our opinion. But unless that opinion is infused with the absolute presence of God, it has less value. Sometimes when we see the gap in ourselves, when we see the gap in others, the best thing that we can do is stop and say, Lord, there's a gap and I don't know what to do. Help me get through it. Help me cross over it. Help me close it because only you know what to do. And if I take over, that gap is going to become a chasm. When my kids were younger, I used to love doing this when they were really tiny and small. I used to love picking them up and tossing them into the air one at a time. Not simultaneously like in a line, but like one at a time. And it was interesting to me to watch each of their differing responses to that. Some of them were absolutely thrilled that this was happening and they would line up for more. And they would go as long as I was willing and my arms didn't give out. They would go all day. Others were a little bit more hesitant. When they were free-falling, you could see a little bit of that fear in their eyes start to take over. Is dad going to catch me? What happens if he drops me? I'll have you know, I have not dropped a single one. I have half-dropped one of them. But a half-drop doesn't count. That's a picture of how God invites us to live. To be tossed up in the air, to free fall, to enjoy, to have freedom, to trust, to hope, to, to live according to his will, his desire, his purpose. He invites us to experience that. The problem is some of us don't want to line up. Some of us don't want to line up and get into the spot where he can toss us. My niece, McKenna, she's amazing. She is a spitfire. I call her marmalade because she's got orange and strawberry blonde and red hair. It's amazing. She is so adventurous. She is so courageous. You can toss her up in the air all day long. Her older sister, Elliot, is beautiful and stunning and amazing. She is much less willing to be tossed up in the air. I remember when they were young, tossing my, old, my own kids up in the air, and they're, they're seeing me catch my kids. And Elliot and McKenna were there, and I'd toss up McKenna, and she was thrilled. But then I'd try and toss up Elliot, and she would try and hang on to me. She'd try and hang on to my shirt, my arm. And I'm like, Elliot, you're not going to get the height. She's like, oh, that's okay. I don't need to go real high, Uncle Jason. And isn't that indicative of some of us with Jesus? I don't want to go real high. I want to be safe. Sometimes our gaps prevent us from recognizing Jesus. Our gaps in our hearts, our gaps in our minds. 
our gaps in our relationships. They prevent us from recognizing Jesus. And instead of being like these group of religious folk, these religious leaders, what if, what if we were like that other group of people that Jesus talks about in the second story? Where he says, you know what? My kingdom's going to be given to an entire different community, an entire different nation, people who actually will trust me. Will you and I, will we be those kind of people? People who are aware of our own gaps and who are willing to be tossed up into the air, knowing that God is going to catch us no matter how high we go or how low we fall. God is still there, ever-present, willing to help us close our gaps and provide for us everything that we need. Everything that we need, not everything that we want, but everything that we need. Will we be that kind of people? Will you and I have the courage to live that kind of life? In this restart, in this reopening, I can't help but think there's going to be a wave of people that need to live life according to this reality that Jesus outlines for us. And I, for one, hope and pray that I can be that kind of person. But I recognize that I can't do it on my own. I recognize that I desperately need Jesus to help me. Help me be a a good husband. Help me be a good father, a good friend, a good leader. If I don't have Jesus, then I am going to get stuck in one of my gaps. So if you're wondering, like, where do I start with all of this? We start right there. It starts with Jesus. Are you connected you have a relationship with him? Are you close in the moment? Are you angry with him? Just tell him if you are because he's big enough and he can handle it. But it starts in that connection with Jesus. And pretty soon you see that that gap is easily traversable with God's presence and God's strength and whatever he provides for you to close your gap. Let's pray together. Father, I'm completely aware that there are gaps in my life. Gaps that uh, I sometimes get stuck in. Gaps that I need you desperately to help me overcome. And so, Lord, I pray for myself and for those of us who are gathered here together in person and those of us online, for those of us who are willing to take that posture of a young little child And be tossed up in the air so that you can give us freedom and joy and life to the full. I pray, God, that you would help us be aware of our gaps so that we don't get stuck in them. And if that means having the courage to repent, to change the way we think about a certain set of circumstances or change the way we operate about a certain set of of actions, then I pray that you would give us what we need, the courage that is needed to do both of those things. And I'm fully aware, Jesus, that there are people that are connected with us as a community and a church that do not yet know you as Lord and Savior. And so for those folks, I pray that they would hear your voice clearly today, calling to them, calling out to them and and reminding them that they are made for a specific reason. They are made so that you can love them. That's what they're made for whether they are experiencing love right now in their home or in their workplace or their their broader relational environment, 
That doesn't matter because you are helping them and want to show them that they can be uh, loved despite what they have done, are doing, or will do in the future. You are a God of love. You are love. It's your nature. It's who you are. So, Father, I pray that we would embrace that reality. And if our gap is unbelief, that your love would bridge that gap. If our gap is unwillingness, that your courage and bravery would bridge that gap. If our gap is hesitancy and reluctance, that that we would allow, again, your provision to bridge that gap. God, I, I know that you are a God who loves and cares and speaks if we're willing to listen. We need you. in all things, and in all ways. May you bless us and protect us. May you be gracious to us and kind to us. May you grant us your favor and your peace as we stay and as we go. We pray this in your name. Amen.